Accutron Watches present. From New York City, this is the Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture with your hosts, Bill McCuddy, Scott Alexander, and David Graver. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron, it's not a timepiece, it's a conversation piece. There is no fixed subset. If you if that dream, that passion, you make make it an obsession, and that obsession takes you to discipline many, many years. The person you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, chef, businessman, speaker, and writer Juan Manuel Barrientos, also known as Juanma. He's here to talk about the incredible career and also a special event taking place in Miami on May 5th called Once Upon a Kitchen. Meanwhile, Once Upon a Studio, I am Bill McCuddy, along with writer Scott Alexander and editor David Graver here with a brand new episode of The Accutron Show. We're cooking up something special. Don't go away. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again. The Accutron Space View 2020. Scott Alexander, what's the best thing you cook? What's your best? I have to say the thing I taught my kids to cook was uh, the easiest, best thing. The best bang for the buck is a roast chicken. Yeah. Ah. And I I, I discovered this. I had all these fancy ways of making roast chicken, and I would take all this stuff, and I'd put all the herbs. And and then one day, I was fresh for time, and I was like, I'm just putting salt on it and put it in the oven. And it was one of the best roast chickens they ever made. Really? So you didn't put garlic under the skin? Didn't do a single thing except salt. Right. Salt and chicken, magic. I'm not sure I'd be proud of that. Uh, David, what's your... Uh, I wanted some secret weapon in there. <laughs> oh, like but, well, some... you want my secret weapon? It's like ribs and barbecue. I got a Traeger grill. Oh, I, got okay, a, okay. I mean, I cook. I'm saying that, like, the, the best bang for the buck, there's still nothing Roasting that beats chicken. a roast chicken. Okay. Graver, what do you say? Well, I eat out for a living. <laughs> that is my, part of my job. So I'm at restaurants Cooking maybe... Cooking is not six, my forte. Six to seven days a week. Um, however... When you get up in the morning... Yeah, I do. That I, white I do box in the, in the... And I also... I'm a, I'm a culinary experimenter. Like, I made a coq au vin. I, mm. I've made frog, frog's legs. I like to try really wild things in the kitchen. Things that people wouldn't expect for someone that eats out all the time. But my life is in restaurants. My life is in restaurants around the world. And I well, that will make our guest very happy. He has 12 or so of them in the Southeast and all around the country. Uh, in fact, the world. And uh, he's going to talk to us about a special event that's going on in Miami uh, at the beginning of May, if you're listening to this before that. And uh, we'll tell you about what you missed if you're listening to it afterwards. Uh, I'm pretty good with a steak on the grill. And I do a thing with uh, hamburgers that I saw as a hack where you put a, a cube of ice on it. When it's on the grill. Oh, wow. And that keeps the inside from getting overcooked. Oh, you got to moisten it. And moistening yeah, that. It's all about moisture. <laughs> I'm a little dewy here today as we're doing uh, another fantastic uh, episode of the Accutron Show. And I'm getting hungry just thinking about our guest. He joins us in just a moment after this. Don't go away. 
This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Juan Manuel Barrientos, welcome to the Accutron Show. Thank you for joining us on the run. We see that your uh, people listening to this don't know, but you're actually in a car heading uh, to a television studio. Uh, but let's back it up a little, uh, Wama. What was the first time you cooked for someone? How old were you? And when did you know that's what you wanted to do? <laughs> this is a really funny story. I, it has like two answers. The first one is I didn't realize I wanted to be a, a, like a cook or a chef until I was 19. Ah. But the first time I, I cooked for someone, it was, I was, uh, my family, it's, um, my father's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman, but he created his company from scratch. So I can kind of have like entrepreneurship in my veins. And my grandmother um, was a great, a great cook and my mother too. So when I was around maybe eight or nine and I was in, in a small coffee a coffee uh, town, a, a, a town where my 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 grandfather used to have a um, a farm where we grow coffee. That's part of my biggest love. So I have entrepreneurship and coffee in my veins. And so so I used to take potatoes. I, I love fire. All my life, I have I, I'm like a pyromaniac. <laughs> so I, I I would I would make fires and. And, and when, when we were in the farm at night to see the stars and, and have tales or, or play or whatever with my friends and my, and my cousins. And one day I remember I took up a big pot. I, I took oil, potatoes, I cut them and I did a fire and I put the pot in the fire and I fried some potatoes. They were completely raw. They were like a mess. I took them, I put them in plates, and I sold them to my uncles and aunts <laughs> and to my grandfather. They were awful. They didn't eat it at all. But it was the first time I cooked for somebody, and I sold as a business. So, so it's a good, a good memory I have. And I, I think maybe life was preparing me to, to do, to cook and sell my food. So that was like when I was like around eight or nine back in Fredonia, the, the town where my grandfather is from. And then the other runs were like when I was 19, I, I, I'm, I was a, a very bad student. I, I passed uh, through six schools and four universities and, and I never graduated. Okay. Even I was kicked out of cooking school also. Oh. But I loved cooking and I loved working. My father is a very hard worker, so I went to, to his his business since I was 12. So I, I had in my veins. So I, I during my, the, all my last two years in school and then in the universities, I worked a lot and I, and I fell in love with working. So I was very responsible with my studying. So one day my father, I, I said my, to my father, I'm not going to study anything. I'm going to keep working with you. I said, I want you to study something that you love to do. And I don't care if you graduate. So I quit engineering, I quit um, uh, business and management, 
and I get into cooking school as a hobby. And I started doing cooking school. I was kicked out because I, I see it as a hobby and I never do the homework or the um, uh. test or anything, but I was really great cook. So one day the dean of the school called me and said like, listen, you have all, when you go to the kitchen, you have eight. And then when you go to a class, you have zeros or what, I don't know how, how you call it. So fives and zeros. So uh -huh. So you you are a really good cook, but you are the worst student we ever had, and we cannot have you. <laughs> I cannot kick you out because you have done anything wrong, but I'm going to offer you, uh, give you back your the money of this semester if you if you volunteer to quit. So I was kind of suggested to quit my wow. my my uh, at the middle of the career of cooking a school, and after that I went to to do a stage in Arsaki in San Sebastian and with a Japanese chef in Argentina, Koliwa Komiyama. He's an Itamaya, like a Japanese culinary master. And after that, I went to, I, I came back to Medellin and I started my first restaurant when I was 23. How do you transform from one successful restaurant into an international establishment with restaurants in so many different countries? That's a good question. I think it's, there's no one answer. I think it's a mix of many things. The first answer and the most important is a, I, it's a family work, but also people who become family during these 15 years and they have been uh, working with us and we the best that stocks for them to make them partners and many things. So I think the first answer is teamwork, but we call family work because also my father, my mother, my sisters, mm. and some of my siblings are in the company, but also many people that we now love as, as our brothers and sisters, and we, we are also partners. And, and so that's the first question. The thing, the second question, the second answer, I think it's discipline and obsession. I think dreams and passion are very important, and I have always stood for to, with, with young entrepreneurs to say to them, follow dreams or your passion. But at the end, I had concluded that there there is no big success if you if that dream, that passion, you um, uh, make make it an obsession. And that obsession takes you to discipline many, many years because I'm, I'm, I'm about to be 40, but I've been working since I'm 16 with a salary and I opened my restaurant 15 years ago. So my first restaurant. So, so many people may see me young, but I think I have a long career because if you have been working in business 22 years and in, 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 a, in a kitchen for 15 you now can say you have certain level of experience. Yeah. But and that is needed. Yeah. To, to open that many restaurants in 15 years, that's almost one a year uh, since you opened the first one, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty intense pace for anyone. Yes, but it wasn't like that. I think it's exponential. So mm. the first two years, we didn't do anything. The second year, we do the second restaurant. They... Four years, we sold that second restaurant and built a, another Cielo because we had a Cielo and a pasta place. Okay. We sold the pasta with that money. We built El Cielo. Then we remained like that 
with a with the second restaurant for another for a five years. Then we open again a pizzeria. Yeah. Then we open in Cielo, Miami. Then we stayed like that for three years. And then we started opening around three restaurants or business units around a year. A year so right. because now the com- because now the company is around four hundred people. Huh. So 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 right now it's not only me because it's a teamwork and I I always say that that all the 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 applauses or the or the congratulations are not for me, are for the whole team because behind me it's extraordinary people and, and, and another thing that I always been I think my most smart move in my life it's understanding that I have to uh, surround people smarter are more talented than me <laughs> and it does help they, and make them believe in my dream is coffee so, still a big so part I, of the restaurant it, it's gonna become even bigger because we are about to to get the US market with a with a cielo coffee oh. in, uh, in the in the between the second and third quarter of this year we are we are we are coming with choc- with chocolate bars from Colombia and uh, special coffees that we have been uh, buying in auctions in Colombia the best coffees that are being taken to Japan like from fifty dollars to two hundred dollars a pound oh, wow. and we are we have been betting in that auctions and we already have like a one thousand pounds in coffee that we're gonna get to the American market that's not going to go to the Asian market but now it's the one with a street value of two point five million dollars. Hey Juanma, let's let's <laughs> let's back up a second for people who don't know your restaurants and your work. We were talking at the top of the show about what we're good at. Uh Scott likes a, a good roasted chicken. Fancy boy here likes uh Coca Vaughn and uh has made some other things we won't go into, but and I'm a steak guy. What is what do you consider your signature dish, or what would somebody coming to some of your restaurants, whether in Miami or Washington D.C. or anywhere in the world, what's the thing you're proudest of? I think the the the, the, the thing that stands my cuisine and also the cielo, it's leveling up Colombian traditional cuisine into fine dining mm. through creativity. So what we do is we we take inspiration from dishes, preparations, traditions, landscapes, stories, and ingredients from Colombia, and we bring it to a table and to an experience in fine dining. And I think fine dining is not about luxury. It's about a upscaling the pure, the 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 the, the essence and the uh, la pureza, the, the the purest thing of the ingredients, changing the, the textures and presenting in an inno- innovative way. So, so I think we have done very successful that, and I'm very proud of that because we have seen, for example, chontaduro, which is a small side that you eat the outside part of the of the coconut, not the inside. And and it's like orange and it's like a really rare flavor. And we, for example, create a small donut with a pastry cream of Chontaduro. And we put um, sea urchin from Hokkaido inside. So we are mixing like some international flavors with Colombian flavors and upscale them into fine dining. 
So what we're doing is we're putting the Colombian flag in fine dining in the world because we have we, 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 we had the opportunity and the honor to be the first to return to Cielo Miami, Cielo Washington, the first to return to ever receive a Michelin star in Colombian cuisine, which oh. is for the company uh, very important because it's this, the way we say we took our traditions and we recreate. Because sometimes people is very purist with food and they don't want recipes to be changed. But I, w- I, I would tell, tell them that I love traditional food. I love morcilla. I love chicharron. I love um, eating pork or rice. But sometimes I, I like some things. that so, so you have different tastes for different times or moments in your week or in your life. So, so that's what we do. We do special dinners or special tasting menus for special occasions to people to go to have a, a, an experience and that's why it took it takes so long when you're going when you're going to a find any restaurant whatever the name of the restaurant is it's very important that people understand that it's going to the opera to the to an oscar award the movie you are not just going to eat and you cannot compare it with a pizzeria where you're going to have the be- a beautiful pizza but you're going to be there for 45 minutes you have to be prepared to be three hours because there's many people that is gonna that is preparing to give you an experience, uh, a show through your senses in plates, and that's what I I I think is fine dining all about. So Mama, we've reached a point we like to call the little sorbet in our show where we're going to take a break. It's called a commercial. When we come back, you're doing something very special down in Miami that we want to talk about. And you're a big fan of chocolate. There's more uh, with Walmart right after this. Don't go away. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our legacy collection reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s. The Legacy Collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for the future. Chef, welcome back to the Accutron Show. You've made us very hungry. So we're, we're not going to keep you much longer. We appreciate it. Uh, but I think David had something, uh, based on what you were talking about earlier that he wanted to follow up on. You mentioned your Michelin stars, but that's not the, the summation of it. You are so highly awarded. How important are these awards and these rankings to getting foot traffic into the doors of your restaurants around the world? That's a really good question. I, I think they're so so my first answer to my team, because one day when we were going to receive them, they, they call us and they invite us to the gala. So we suppose that we were going to receive it. A, my, 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 like my, my team asked, they, uh, asked me, like, how do we, re- we receive that? And I, and I told them that a Michelin story cannot be ever a goal, but it can be a, an illusion. Hmm. It, you have to have the illusion to one day uh, receive it not not because uh, just because many professional people that you don't know because that's one of the beautiful things about the Michelin stars is that you don't know the food critics they they are not calling you to ask you for 
for free dinners because they, the part of the uh, of their transparency is they they either um, people that pay the their bills. So so many people that's professional in a 100 year guide is going and you don't know they are the the the, the judges or the inspectors and they are sitting in more than 300 restaurants per year because you have to be and to be an inspector you have to eat 300 restaurants per year and show that you have done it so when people that really understand food in all levels because they eat in all kind of restaurants not that the luxury ones but street ones and everything and they are traveling around the world they they all together both and they don't know even between them and you get the start you understand that many professional people it's doing a recognition to you and your work as an excellent as an excellent work so that's very uh, good for your heart and, and 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 it's very rewarding but i always tell them this is like an illusion that came true the goal has always to be to stall a smile from the client at the end of the meal because if you still a, a, a smile at the end of a meal, mm. that client is going to come back and is going to recommend you. That's where the purpose is. Because you have a restaurant to have a, a, a business, to have jobs, to maintain your, in, your investment, to earn money, to maintain the life of your business so you can show more, so you can, so you can show more your, your cuisine. So man, the business itself and being being a um, business a, a, a successful input but also in, in financial terms is very important for you to live long uh, in 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 the in this in this hospitality industry so i think the goal it's always to have happy clients at the end of the night that's the, the premium goal but having these awards is like solutions that are very beautiful and, and became true. And they are also very important because many people follow, follow those professional critics and say, okay, these professional critics have this criteria and they are going to say that this restaurant have this prize or this award, whatever the award is. You rely on that in, do, in those professionals to go to, the, to this. So I think these awards are important. In in movies and in TV but shows, but the most important thing is your claim. Oh, sorry. In, in movies and in TV shows no, no. And, in, and in books, sometimes we see portrayals of what it's like to work in fine dining restaurants, and a lot of times it looks like it's a very high pressure situation. It's very intense. You know, you have Anthony Bourdain's books about working in kitchens, or you know, TV shows like The Bear or the or movies like The Menu that portray these as very difficult, high-pressure environments. What is your take on that sort of idea of a kitchen running that way in high-pressure zones? Not like the menu. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, there's, you know, there's a movie that is kind of very accurate called with Bradley Cooper. Brunt. Uh, 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 with oh, Brunt. Bra yeah, Bradley yeah, yeah. Cooper. Yeah, yeah, Bradley Cooper. Uh, uh, yeah, but, but, yeah. Um, so that movie is kind of accurate in what happens in a kitchen. You are always trying to get talent from everywhere, even from um, 
uh, a local food, but you see a really good cook that he can stand the fire and everything, and you and you train in, in fine dining. Then you have others that come from fine dining and they understand, but they are not, they don't stand so much to the pressure. So you have different talents, and that's part of the management of a kitchen. The pressure is kind of like that. Um, there's some myths about uh, the the inspectors throwing a fork in the in the in the floor to see if you if you pick it up. I think those are more myths because inspectors are are um, uh, you don't know who they are and they come they can come one and write everything so you 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 think that's an inspector. But there are ones that go with with groups of five or six to have a big dinner to see how do you manage a big table. So you you will never know who an inspector is. But that movie kind of reflects the pressure, mm. what happens in a kitchen. I think that's one of the most accurate I, I've seen. One of the other things that there's pressure on, you mentioned Michelin stars a moment ago, and I, I've been told by more than one famous chef that the it's kind of a curse because the only thing that's worse than getting one is losing one. In other words, uh, once you get a Michelin star, uh, you have to hold on to it. Is, is that true? I mean, I appreciate what you're saying about just making the customer happy, but there must be also this kind of cloud that hangs over you once the Michelin folks have given you a, a, a star or two. That's completely true. But I think you have to love it enough to don't uh, so you don't care mm-hmm. about the pressure that that to the point that you enjoy it one and the second is that in Spanish the name of my restaurant is El Cielo so the first time we opened and they they told me why are you calling your restaurant El Cielo I said because every night I have to be so disciplined that people feel at the cielo, like in heaven or in the sky. So I have the pressure from day one without stars. Mm. I'm kind of used and I like it, but I understand what they say. And it's true that you you cannot afford to lose a star, uh, especially if you have one, because if you have two, you're still in the list and you lose one. And yeah, it's a pain in the having one. Losing. I think that, that if you have one and lose one, the worst, if you have three and lose one, the worst. <laughs> if you have two and lose one, it's very bad, but not that bad. <laughs> so, but, but, but there is a pressure, and, and I, when I, I'm going to tell you a, a small uh, story. When, I, when they called me uh, to tell me that, that I was going to receive the star, um, Gwendal Palaunek, the president of the Michelin star, called me with Jose Andres, and they announced my star. And they make me sign a note, no, uh, and uh, like a confidentiality agreement until they release 20 days after we're released by the Michelin guide. So l- during three weeks, I knew I was going to receive a star. And after one week, I was so stressed, doing so much things I ha- I needed to do, that I went I went to my to my like my spiritual guide, and. And I told him, like, listen, I, I'm not enjoying this. I feel like a, that I'm hanging a truck in my back. And, and he said, like, they already gave you a start for what you were doing. You have to change anything. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't do anything new. 
until you understand that the news needed to be done. But don't invent anything new without the needed to be invented just for the pressure that you received the start. And that kind of took out the pressure uh, and some meditations and some um, <laughs> uh, things that I'm very spiritual. So, 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 so it helped me a lot. But I understand my first week when I knew the start, it was a really high pressure. And I understand what many chefs uh, mention when you when, when say that. We've talked a lot about your time in the kitchen. I'm wondering if you would take some time to talk about your nonprofit work. Ah, that's beautiful. So we, 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 my father and my mother are very spiritual. They, they teach me to meditate and do yoga and social work as my religion. We ne- they never teach us any religion. So they teach us meditation, yoga, and social work to help others. Uh, so when, so we have done that in my family for, for all my life. So when I started El Cielo, I wanted to help. So, um, I started El Cielo and, and I say, I'm going to bring people I want to help. So I, I, I brought a wounded soldiers mutilated by, by landmines. And I started like my small foundation, helping them, training them in cooking. And then I started work uh, teaching victims, indigenous. And then I start work uh, teaching former paramilitaries and former guerrillas. And I start doing forgiveness and reconciliation sessions with spiritual guides, psychologists. And we will meet, have a lunch together and forgive. And, and it was, it's very intense because it's a guy that was in the army that lost a leg or an eye. And he's forgiving a guerrilla that, that surrendered his weapons and came to, to the civilian life. And, and they, so, so it was a long process, but it's been 15 years since we have done it. We have helped around 2,000 people uh, in Colombia, in the Colombian conflict. Um, and it's been very rewarding uh, family-wise because we never, we have never received any donations from outside. It's all our family profits and, and, and investment from El Cielo to, 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 to them. So yeah, that's what we do. We we you bring we, the enemy we, to we, the t- you bring people our, you bring people here to four who were not getting along together over food, and they break bread together and they see each other's uh, perspective and it changes them. I assume. And after that, they go to the to the kitchens of Alcielo and they work there. We give them work right. first. Uh-huh. We give them cooking at school and then we give them work. So if you go to our kitchens in Colombia, we'll, you will find every, everyone in white, in, you know, in chef's coats. But one can be a former paramilitary, one can be an indigenous, one can be, one can be a former guerrilla, one can be a, a, um, a former soldier that with a prosthesis in his leg, and they all, all work together. That's a and movie. We, forget forget Bradley Cooper. You got a movie yeah. right there, mister. <laughs> Let's get on that. Good. I'll write the <laughs> we're, we're working on the screenplay right now. We're going to, we're going to pitch it by the end of this podcast. It's going to be greenlit. Um, uh, have there, have there been any uh, times you mentioned uh, earlier, one of your earliest memories was cooking potatoes badly, having them not come out correctly. Um, have there been any other mistakes that have come up in the kitchen that have actually worked out that have been surprising or uh, happy accidents? Just to, to defend myself of that bad cooking, 
Then when I became a Pache, I understand that that wasn't bad potato, but but a, a bad way of cooking potatoes. It was the first cook. So to do good French fries, you have to cook them twice. Right. One in low low heat oil, and the second one in high heat. And I just did the first. So <laughs> so I will do this. I just did the good, but the first cook. So uh, yeah, we have uh, to answer your question. We I think creativity and create and creating dishes. We create around two hundred dishes per year to all the restaurants because all the menus are different in each city. I think it's all about embracing mistakes mm. when you are creating you have to learn from those mistakes and use them as uh, gasoline of your creativity was choco therapy so did choco therapy start out as a mistake that's a term that sort of you yes. coined explain that to our listeners i was in i was in a, in another restaurant in a in a typical colombian restaurant that when they sell chicharron or chicharron. and i was with my nephew he's now 17 16 but at that time he was around four or five. He ordered a strawberry juice with, with milk, uh, like a milkshake. Mm -hmm. And I ordered like a soda or something. And we were waiting for the food. When, and he was a, a small kid. When the, when the glass arrived, he poured his hand like this inside the glass and it started licking this, <laughs> the, the, the milkshake. And the waiter arrived like, like, let me help you. And when he was going to clean the, the, my, my nephew, that he was very little, he said, no, 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 wait. Let him finish. And he finished all the milkshake, and he was going for the second one. I said, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Drink it with the straw. But it popped my, my, my mind. So when we ate the lunch and, we, and I came back to the restaurant, I, I went to the sink. I, I melted chocolate, and I went to the sink and washed my hands and licked them and then washed it in the sink. And it was completely good, and it was there were like moisturized and it hydrated with the chocolate grease and everything. So I started investigating about that, and I said, "Okay, we have to do it in the table." So in Colombia, also in back like 100 years ago, there were a, a big pot with a jar with water called aguamaniles, where where the grandmothers and grandfathers will, will wash their hands and feet in their in their rooms because there were no things 100 years ago. So I, I looked for those pots, jars called aguamaniles, and, and then we used them and we tried them in the table. And after that, we have done it more than 1.2 million times. Wow. Oh and this is, you eat it with your hands, it comes to the table and you you eat it with your hands and then it moisturizes you wash your, your hands? hands. Yeah, you lick yeah, you, I'm you, pretty, can, I'm you pretty can sure I would have been sent to my you. room. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I would have been in trouble at the McCuddy household if that had happened. We in the hotel we sell them for the bathtub for the couples. Oh wow, wow! You can bathe in chocolate. That's another you movie. Can, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my but god! I'm not going that. That that's <laughs> more more uh, uh, an old movie. I'm not getting into that one. Maybe <laughs> the other one. <laughs> On May 5th, you have an event in partnership with Massimo Batura, one of the most famous chefs in the entire world, and Bernardo Palladini. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about Once Upon a Kitchen and maybe what we can anticipate. Once Upon a Kitchen, as I was telling you about fine dining, 
it's all about an experience. It's not going to, to have dinner. It's going to have a, a full professional uh, experience. So you will have a cocktail to, 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 to gather and to meet people. Then we are having the dinner. Uh, we are serving the dinner. Um, after that, there is a, uh, an after party. So during the whole the whole experience, there are one of the best mixologists in the world, one of the best DJs in the world, uh, Massimo, like Bernardo doing the dessert. Me, we're uh, we're doing a a plate inspired to of Italian and Colombian cuisine. So we are doing gnocchis. Instead of potato, we are using yuca from the Amazon. Not so burned. Doing yuca gnocchis with 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 pecorino and black truffle, but to add a Colombian ingredient, we're putting a sweet plantain plantain that mm. goes perfect with the black black truffle. So it's gonna be a yuca gnocchis with black truffle and sweet plantain and pecorino. It's mm. gonna be beautiful. Oh, wow. And we're gonna serve for the after party a, a an American Colombian inspired dish. So, so in America, you eat a lot of hot dogs and also the lobster roll with the, with the beautiful water from Maine. And we have Colombian ceviche that we also do it with lobster. So we are going to do a lobster roll of Colombian ceviche oh, wow. for the after party. Wow. And there's no competition or there's no friendly be- uh, competition between the three, between when you get three great chefs in the kitchen. Never, there's never a competition. Like, okay. The, okay. Um, when, 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 for example, in when you when you have when when you have, for example, your wife, your girlfriend, that you have a problem is not you against the other, is both against the problem. In when we do collaboration dinners, it's the chefs against the 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 not against, but the chefs are together solving or proposing. To the client hmm. so we are not competition we have to be a team to do a great partnership and do goals that still smiles i always say that the most smiles that you steal from a client the most uh, important and memorable was the dinner you served so i think massimo um, uh, bernardo and me are a team to still smile that night that's brilliant is there a story you're telling with that once a, once upon a kitchen makes me think of a of a story is, is is there is there something you're trying to kind of get across there i think once upon a kitchen is uh, and gr8 are proposing the most exclusive experience, food experience in the world last time it was in the in, in france in the Louvre. now it's in by the miami formula one i think it's gonna be maybe the hottest seat not just in town, but one of the most exclusive dinners in America this year. Mm. And I think people cannot miss it. Well, they won't. If they've listened to this before May 5th, if they've listened after, they missed a great, uh, a great event. Listen, uh, we're going to let you go. Before we do, you have a, a, you wrote a book about the, the translates to the recipe of success. What recipe would you give young people who want to be in your business? How do you start and what advice would you give them? Discipline and obsession. So your passion, you have to to make it your discipline. And your dream, 
your obsession. And there's another way to say it is macro patient, micro speed. So you have micro patients in your big dream, but you have to be very fast developing hundreds or thousands of tasks during years to achieve that that you have to have with patients. So do you not believe in some of these competitive shows that are on television where, where people are stars overnight in the, in, uh, in the cooking world? Do you watch them? I think the, sometimes, yes, I think the world is going very fast and these new generations are consuming things very fast. But I think if you, you want to have a long-lasting career, you have to be patient and disciplined because this fast success come as fast down as the way they came up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't mean that during that high tide, it was a successful time for, 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 for that chef, artist, or whatever the winner of a show is. But I think you have to, 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 to shoot in the long run to, to long-term uh, goals. Wama, we're coming to dinner. We know we have to allot three hours, and we can't wait. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Accutron Show. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch and subscribe to our podcast. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time.